given those selections from First John four verses seven through twelve. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Then Job, beginning in the first chapter, the first five verses of that chapter. There once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. We've got to use the King James word there because it's one of the best. I love the King James language sometimes. He feared God and eschewed evil. <laughs> there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's homes in turn. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. But then Job had a period of loss. He lost his goods, he lost his, his family, he lost his health. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. 
He said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. But then Job's wife, verse 9 of chapter 2, said, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. They met together to go and console and comfort Job. But when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Then in chapter 5, one of the friends says, I've seen fools taking root, but suddenly I curse their dwelling. Their children are far from safety. They're crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat their harvest, and they take it even out of the thorns, and the thirsty pant after their wealth. For the misery, for misery does not come from the earth, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, but human beings are born to trouble just as sparks fly upwards. And then Job said in chapter 7, verse 7, one of his many speeches, remember that my life is a breath, my eye will never again see good. The eye that beholds me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so those who go down to hell do not come up. They return no more to their houses, nor do their places know them anymore. And then in chapter 16, Job says again after the friends, so-called, accuse him and tell him that his suffering is basically his fault. Job answered, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. But then, right in the middle of this section, where Job and his friends are going back and forth, Job is justifying himself, and the friends are accusing him and saying it's his fault that he's going through all this mess. Right in the middle of this, 
Job, as if he sees forward to where his life eventually is going, says, oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead they were engraved on a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has become, has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And then the friends and Job go back and forth some more, and Another friend named Elihu comes into the picture, makes a little bit more sense than the first three friends make, and then God speaks. In chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man, I will question you, and you shall declare to me. And then in chapter 42, after God has described himself and basically shown Job who he is, Job answers the Lord, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job's quoting God here. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Then he quotes God again. Here and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. And then Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then God invites Job to pray for his three friends, which he does. And the Lord restored in chapter 42, verse 10, the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a gold ring the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And Job died old and full of days. Let us pray. Father, none of us is smart enough or good enough, 
None of us has followed Christ long enough to be able to speak or hear or even receive your word. But we pray that by your spirit, your word might now be spoken and heard and received. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. What do you need? We all come into this world needing something to eat, a safe place to sleep, somebody to change our diapers, and, or as they say in Great Britain, our nappies. <laughs> Take care of us. But as time goes on, we find out we need more than just a bite of food or something to drink. We need more than a job to do. We need more than just a hand-to-mouth existence. And so we learn to kind of take care of ourselves. We learn to put on our own clothes mentioned before, Calder's daddy used to say, he loves children only as long as they're, what was it, as long as they're able to dress themselves and tie their shoes or something like that. <laughs> and he didn't want to have to change those nappies. <laughs> but sooner or later we learn to take care of ourselves. We learn to work. We learn to relate to other people. We learn to to build a family. We learn to, to build a life. And if somebody asks us what we need, we might say, we really don't need much. We've got everything we need. We may be like Paul in Philippians uh, chapter 4, where he thanks the Philippian people for uh, sending a contribution to him and helping him in his ministry. But then he says, not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. And then it's after that that he says, I can do that kind of thing through Christ who strengthens me. So we come to see ourselves and we come to be blessed, full. We are okay. We can feel like we have what we need. And that's a good thing, to be content with what we have. And yet, yet there's, a, there's something in us that wants more. And so we, we develop religion. We develop religion as a way of reaching out for that something more. Call it what you will, a higher power, a great spirit for God. And we reach out for something more through what Immanuel Kant called the starry sky above and the moral law within. We build a religion to try to reach God. And maybe we do. We go to church. We join a church. We become hopefully good people. 
But there's a danger in that because we can come to feel that we have everything we need and we can lose a sense of hunger and thirst after God. We can say easily, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. I have all knowledge. I've been to seminary. I, I can read Greek. I know the Bible. I have faith. I can move mountains. I've got so much faith. And we can easily come to say, I am full and rich and have need of nothing. And we can come to the point that we do not realize what Jesus says of us in Revelation 3, that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. When we look at ourselves in the light of the enormity that is God, we can see that we don't have everything we need, that we need God every hour. And hopefully we can come to hunger and thirst daily for the kingdom of God to grow within us. It's a process. Getting what we need is a process. We don't just eat one meal and then say, well, I've done that now. We eat again and again and again. And the process of coming alive to God can be seen in a place I've never preached on in 60 years, beginning when I was 17 at New Hope Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Shelby County, Alabama. I've never preached on the book of Job as an illustration of the process of our coming alive in God. But Job is a perfect picture of what happens with each of us. We begin with a kind of innocent joy, just like Job had. He was having, he was, he had it all. He had his family, he had his oxen, he had, I mean, what was it, 3,000 camels? That's a bunch of camels <laughs> to take care of. His family, his family enjoyed each other. The psalm says how wonderful it is that brothers dwell together in unity. Well, his children loved one another. They have a, what do they call it, progressive dinner where you go from one house to another and have a big old barbecue. Kind of like, a, it sounded like they had a 4th of July weekend every month or so. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job a righteous person who loves to do good and eschews evil? And Satan says to God, 
Does Job fear God for naught? You've hemmed him in. You've protected him. He's got it all. He's got everything he needs. What? I mean, you take some of that away. He'll curse God. He'll curse you to your face. And so Job begins to experience what each of us experiences at some time in our life. When we come to realize we don't have everything we need. Job begins to suffer. And then he enters into a religious period. And in his religion, he seeks over and over and over and over again to justify himself. To say to his friends, I'm right, you're wrong. He became skilled and poetic, eloquent at defending himself and his integrity. The same way we do. We can say how right our faith is, how right our religion is, how right our values are, and how wrong everybody else is. We develop speech, knowledge, faith. And we again see ourselves as rich and full and having need of nothing. But there is within us that still small voice that still cries out for a Redeemer whom we shall see in our flesh and whom our eyes shall behold as being on our side. And so right in the middle of our self-justification and all our complaints about life and all the world out there, there's this still small voice within that yearns to hear from God, yearns for something more than our religion, yearns for something more than our righteousness. And out of that yearning and that hunger and thirst for righteousness, God speaks. God comes to us in Jesus of Nazareth and offers us not religion but a relationship in which he takes us by the hand and takes us into his heart and loves us into life. The word love, I confirmed it earlier before Sunday school. The word love is never used in the book of Job. But there is nowhere in the Bible that you see more clearly what it looks like for God to love a person into life than you do in the life of Job. Job didn't know God when he was in his innocence. He thought he did. He thought he was doing everything he needed. He thought he was full and rich and had need of nothing. 
But once God came to him and gave Job not an explanation, but gave Job his presence, hmm. Job could then say, I've heard about you before. Now my eye sees you. And I repent of all my self-justification. I repent of all the ways in which I thought I was full and rich and had need of nothing. I repent of all the knowledge and all the tongues I've spoken in. I repent of the faith that could move mountains because it was all contained within me. Now I see that everything I am and have is contained in you, Lord. You are complete in him, writes Paul to the Colossians. You are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. It is not it is not. And all the things that we think make us good and right. It is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone that we have life and health and peace and hope that we have life. Toward the end of his life, Carl Bart was asked in a radio interview, what is your last word to the people who you've served? You began as a pastor in Softonville back in the teens in 1916, I believe is when he began as a pastor in Softonville in Switzerland. And this radio interview took place not long after he came to the United States in 1982 and made a tour. Lived to be an old fellow. And he was asked, what is your last word? What's the most important thing that you can say to the people you have served? And he said, the most important thing I can say, the most important word I have to offer is not a word, it's not an idea, it's not a value, it's not a chunk of morality. The most important thing I have to say is a name, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that in all the joys and pleasures and blessings of our life, we might rise continually day by day and live continually, saying in our hearts and lives and relationships and play and work, I need thee every hour.
most precious Lord, stay thou nearby while life shall last. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for